Welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley, and this is always the best edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast because it's Friday, which means it's the weekend. We're all in a good spirits. And we got another reason to be in good spirits because it's Jobs Report Friday. We got the big non-farm payroll coming out at 8.30 this morning. Very excited for it. And you know, it's funny because I always say that. And whenever I go to say non-farm payroll, I for the longest time before I knew, which wasn't long ago, <laughs> I thought it was non-foreign payroll. I have no idea why I thought that, like why that made sense. Like, I don't know. Like, we're not including immigrants or or money coming in from overseas. I didn't know. I was like, non-foreign payroll. Okay. Like, I mean, it just, I don't know. Maybe it made sense. But it's non-farm payroll. The big jobs report coming out later today. And that, of course, means that we've been getting reports all throughout the week. So we got the ADP private payroll numbers on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, initial jobless claims. The initial jobless claims always out on Thursday morning. And unfortunately, they were a little disappointing. Little disappointing, um, at least from what everyone was expecting. Jobless claims unexpectedly jumped a little bit for the week. It was a slight disappointment, mostly because of how great those ADP numbers were on Wednesday. So initial claims were 207,000, an increase of 7,000 from the previous week's revised level for the week ending January the 1st. Economists had actually projected a drop from about 200,000 to 197,000. So nothing huge but going in the wrong direction, which you never like to see when it comes to these reports. Uh, Continuing claims also increased for the week ending December 25th. Continuing claims were 1.75 million, a 36,000 increase from the previous week's revised level. And economists had projected that those claims would fall as well to about 1.68 million. New York, in case you're interested, saw the biggest jump in initial claims with a jump of just over 8,900, followed by Pennsylvania that was up 6,800 and Connecticut up 5,900. So there's something going on up north (laughs) that is causing the jobless claims to rise. And continuing claims, well, kind of the bigger states were involved. We had New York that was up 50,000, California up 46,000, and Illinois up about 24,000. So here's the good news. We're still looking at historic lows when it comes to these jobless numbers. And the report, like I said, was disappointing because of the optimism that we have going into the Friday jobs reports. And this is a lot to do with what happened on Wednesday. ADP reported that the economy had created 807,000 jobs in December, which was double the estimate of 400,000 that everyone was expecting. And so... The number has not changed. Economists have not changed their calculation thinking, oh my gosh, this ADP report, maybe this number is going to be really big on Friday. They haven't done that, but there's still a sense of optimism in the air. So the initial jobless claims report, if it had been positive, I think would have really ramped up the optimism. So there's still optimism, but now it's a little bit maybe more realistic because of the jobless claims, but we're still looking at historic lows. We know the... 
The labor market is tight. We talked about earlier this week, we got the JOLT report that showed that quits were at an all-time high. So we know that the labor market is still very tight. So that's still a good sign. But yeah, we would have liked to have seen a little bit better of a jobless claims report. No doubt about that. But the labor market's tight, which means wages are rising, which is important because you know what else is rising? Home prices. And while actually just the cost of living is increasing, as we all know, with inflation, but we know that the one area where we're seeing some really big inflation is when it comes to where you're going to live, whether it's renting or buying. And so here's some of the good news at least for the real estate industry, because I mean, when you're looking at 20%, almost 20% year over year growth, you're going to start realizing that homes are becoming more affordable and that's going to price people out of the market. So if you're in the business, if you're a realtor, if you work in mortgage, that's fewer customers that are available to you. But here's the thing. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. And so we know that home prices are increasing, but that's going to make rents increase as well and there's a new report out from adam data solutions that says that owning a median priced home is more affordable than the average rent in the majority of counties in this country the data shows 58 percent so 58 percent of the country it is still cheaper to buy than it is to rent And this is true despite the fact that the median home price has increased more than average rents and more than average wages in 88% of the country. And we all know why that is. Mortgage rates are at historic lows, which gives you a little bit of a cushion because it allows you to buy a little bit more house than if rates were a little higher. And so while owning makes sense in 58% of the country, in the other 42%, renting is more affordable and those places tend to be in the most populated counties. Renting is more affordable for average wage earners than buying in 21 of the nation's 25 most populated counties. And renting is still the cheapest, not surprisingly, even though we've seen crazy growth in the South and the Midwest, as they represented 43 of the 50 most affordable markets for renting. And it should be noted that home ownership is also the most affordable in the South and the Midwest, despite this record growth. I mean, in the South, we've seen over 20% year over year growth. And it's expected in places like North Carolina that we're going to continue seeing that. Maybe not that high, but at least double-digit growth in 2022. And while home prices are expected to slow, not decrease, and definitely not stopping. And when you combine that with rising rates, it's not hard to see a scenario in a few quarters from now where renting becomes more affordable than, or I should say owning becomes less affordable than renting in the majority of the country. This is why Ali Wolf, who's the chief economist at Zonda, tweeted, all eyes will be on the monthly payment this year. And she tweeted out this chart that showed you know, the cost of a house, what the monthly payment was, and then looking at the different mortgage rates. And there's no doubt everyone's going to be watching that because that's going to have a big impact on on housing affordability as rates move up, which everyone expects them to do. Now, if rents do begin to rise, or I should say if home prices begin to rise, it doesn't mean, and that is going to translate to probably higher rents. 
I mean, they are correlated. I mean, the people that are buying the property uh, to rent out are buying it. And so when it costs them more to buy it, they're going to have to rent it for more as well. And so as rents begin rising at quicker rates, home prices, then home ownership will remain the more affordable option. And with rent occupancy rates hitting all-time highs, it's possible that home ownership, even with mortgage rates going up and price growth still taking place, we could still see a scenario in which home ownership is still the cheaper option. And today, a report came out, fully 97.5% of professionally managed apartment units are spoken for as of December. That is the highest figure on record according to data property or according to data from the property management software company, RealPage. So we're seeing a scenario where you have occupancy levels in both houses and apartments at record highs. That's another reason why this discussion about how similar are we to 2007, 2008, we're not. Not at all. In fact, there was a great piece in the Washington Post by Mark Zandi in which he breaks down why there are concerns about housing. We're not in a bubble. And he actually even points out that he thinks that home prices are overvalued. He says in the uh, Northeast where we've seen home price growth, but not as accelerated as we have in the South and Midwest, he says homes are overvalued. I think he mentions about, here it is. He says, based on these tried and true measures of home price valuations, homes nationwide appear to be overvalued by as much as 15%. And in the South and West, they're overvalued by more than 20%. But he says, do not think that that means that we're in a bubble. That's not what we're. That's not where we are. He's pointing out that the homes are overvalued, and so some places you could see prices pull back a little bit. But he's not saying that's a bubble. And he goes on to explain why he talks about lending standards, of course, being just <laughs> ridiculously higher than they were. But one of the things he does mention, and I have not been in the business long enough to know how this could be possible. Because as we all know in the mortgage business, all the mortgage companies, their goal is to give loans that are conforming loans that qualify for Fannie and Freddie so they can be sold, which frees up more capital to do more loans and on and on and on it goes. And he was arguing that as competition heats up, for mortgages because you know refis are going to go away and so a lot of mortgage companies are going to say hey we got to keep the business going that they're going to lower lending standards and i thought okay but how do you do that i mean you're just not going to sell the loans i mean they're just going to sit on them they're going to service them i mean mortgage companies do that i I understand that but it seems like that you're not going to do that for very long because you're going to be tying up all your capital in these loans and so i'm just I, i i was i'm i'm interested in how that could happen or would they just be lying and saying that they are conforming and sell the loans to Freddie and there wouldn't be documentation now we now they're committing crime now now they're committing crimes <laughs> you know, before you know we could argue in 2007 that they were committing moral crimes you know selling homes and let, letting people borrow money that couldn't afford it that could be a moral crime but now we're talking about like actual crime like if that's what they're going to end up doing committing fraud so um I'm interested to know how they would do that. I mean, either you would not make them conforming and then you would just, you know, find another way to sell them. I mean, obviously you can package up loans that aren't conforming. There's just not as big of a market out there for that. So I am interested to see how that would happen. Would it go the criminal route 
or would you go the non-conforming route and still package them up, but they're just they wouldn't be as enticing to investors, especially with the Fed at the same time not buying mortgage. There's going to be a flood of market for conforming loans out there. So to have something that doesn't meet that standard, I'm just I'm interested to see how that would happen. But that piece by Mark Zandi is in the companion newsletter for this podcast which you can sign up for at marketsandmortgages.com. All right, we got to go. You guys enjoy your weekend. I know I will. I'm not going to do anything. Last couple of weekends have been very busy. You know, we had New Year's, Christmas, all that. So it's like, this is a good weekend to just do nothing, to just chill. That's what I'm planning on doing. Hopefully, you'll be doing the same, or at least whatever you're doing, having fun doing it. I'll talk to you on Monday morning. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.